You're listening to Inside the Boardroom, powered by Onboard. I'm your host, Adam Wire. Today, we chat with Ralph Ward, publisher of the Boardroom Insider Newsletter and author of several books who speaks internationally on board governance topics. Ralph will discuss recent boardroom trends, board recruitment processes, and more. Our guest today is Ralph Ward. He's the, the founder and publisher of Board's Boardroom Insider Newsletter. Uh, he's been doing that for, for more than 20 years, uh, publishing uh, insider uh, news and information about boards, board governance, and, and what's happening in, in terms of boardroom uh, trends. Uh, he's also the author of How to Gain Your First Board Seat and The Board Seeker's Guide, both of which are available on uh, uh, boardroominsider.com. Ralph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Been looking forward to it, Josh. Great. Yeah. And where are you joining us from today? Uh, Michigan. The very beginning of autumn here. So if I sound a little bit croaky, it's seasonal allergies I'm battling. So I apologize in advance. No worries. And what part of Michigan? Uh, Right in the center of things. If you know Michiganders, they point to their palm and tell you where you are. I'm, I'm right in the middle of the palm of the Lower Peninsula. Nice, nice. I, I, I personally love Michigan. I, I, I go there on, uh, you know, Holland and, and um, South Haven and those types of places. Great. So, uh, Ralph, one of the things we want to talk about with you today was um, some of the recent articles you've published on, on Boardroom Insider about the, the changing trends in, in board um, seat recruitment processes and, and board search processes. Uh, you recently published the, the article, uh, Five Ways uh, Board Searches Have Changed. I'm curious if, if you can just uh, share with our audience kind of what those those trends are and how they've changed recently or over the past few decades. Uh, there have been several major changes here that I've seen over the last few years. Um, certainly the biggest one has been over the last three years uh, dealing with COVID. Uh, that's been talked to death on all of the social and business changes that that's brought out. If you look at the micro section of how people get on boards of directors and familiarize themselves with them, it's had a real impact there. Uh, People have um, been not networking quite as much, certainly not in person as they should over the last few years. And networking is absolutely vital to gaining a board seat. So uh, people are going to have to come out of their holes a little bit more and do more getting out in person than they've been used to lately. And uh, certainly that's common knowledge but specifically for gaining a board seat, because as I said, uh, personal networks, getting out, meeting the people, expanding your networks, and frankly, dropping your interest and questions on gaining a board seat are all the uh, currency for gaining uh, board placement. And people have gotten rusty over that over the last few years. Absolutely. Uh, Another change uh, that has been seen, and this is sort of a mega trend we're dealing with, diversity and inclusion efforts at the uh, corporate level and actually at all organizations. One aspect of that has been the most glaring one that uh, traditionally you look at a board of directors of just about any institution in the U.S. and you've got 10 or 12 pale, stale males, all named George is the old cliche for describing a board of directors. And that's become a very obvious thing. Uh, If you look at annual reports from even 10 years ago, a group of all Georges and white and suits uh, was the currency. That's the way it was. And now that really leaps out at you as being unrepresentative and um, non-diverse. So companies are more aware of that. And they're making an effort 
to expand diversity in board makeup and recruitment. It's been proceeding in uh, fits and starts, though. And one aspect of that that ties in with the folks I call the board wannabes, rising executives who want to gain that first seat, is a part of corporate diversity and inclusion, bringing younger, more diverse people from ethnic groups up in the organization, giving them new opportunities, working on inclusion. Uh, they're still leaving board exposure out of that very often. And it's a real problem. These uh, younger people do not get the exposure to the company's board of directors, how boards work, how they think that the uh, older white males who may have made them made their way up in the organization sort of uh, developed naturally just by their uh, contacts within the company. They don't have that exposure. They don't know how boards think. They don't know how they work. So I encourage companies as part of their own corporate uh, inclusion and uh, belonging uh, efforts to make sure to get people who are high potentials exposed to the board, talking with board, presenting to the board, sitting in on board meetings, and uh, frankly, helping them find outside board opportunities on their own. It's going to pay off five, 10 years down the road. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think, you know, one of the, the things that we talked about, and obviously the titles of your book are, you know, how do you gain that first board seat? And I think with the, in the corporate board world, that's, that's certainly more difficult than, say, nonprofit or a trade association. Um, uh, but I love that idea of, uh, you know, maybe auditing a board meeting or, you know, being a passive observer, uh, just mm -hmm. to understand how board meetings and governance and committee structures work to, to get that kind of, um, that just practical, uh, you know, just soak it in, so to speak, uh, that practical knowledge. Um, to your point of, uh, you know, not enough people are, are thinking about diversity. We recently surveyed and published a survey uh, a few months back, our, our uh, 2023 board effectiveness survey. And we asked yes. uh, more than 200 directors, executives, chairs, administrators, you know, um, of these three top level factors, what are the, 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 the most, um, the highest contributors to ineffectiveness? We said, is it your people? Is it your processes? When process in this case would, would be a stand-in for governance, or is it something technology related? Uh, number one answer, 95% um, um, said that uh, the people factors were, were the, um, the biggest driver of, of lack of effectiveness within their board. And to your point, um, I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. 95% said lack of diversity, new ideas or outside expertise uh, were the top concerns re relative to human resources. And then <clears throat> um, to uh, kind of uh, bolster that a little bit, we, we asked a few follow-up questions. We said, okay, um, what do you think about lack of board uh, member turnover? 69% said that was a, a big contributor to um, board ineffectiveness. And then, mm -hmm. you know, taking diversity out of that uh, ethnographic uh, point of view, but even thinking within your industry, we said, you know, does over-representation of uh, industry expertise uh, drive ineffectiveness or prevent effectiveness. 58% mm -hmm. agreed with us on that. So that was some some eye-opening statistics that we saw from uh, those people who responded to our survey. And then last but not least, and I always think this, we've seen this two years in a row, we've, uh, we asked, okay, um, you know, you've identified the, the things that you, you think are driving the factors that are contributing to ineffectiveness or uh, reaching that le next level of effectiveness. What are the things that you think that your board does really well? Um, we asked, you know, about ESG and recruitment and uh, diversity. 
uh, the number one answer uh, that all of our respondents said that they think their boards really do well, and this is 76% of all respondents said, board continuity is our greatest strength. Um, and when I read both sides of that survey response, I think, okay, we're, we're really good at, at board continuity, but we, um, we lack diversity of thought, of professional uh, background. Uh, do you see the same things when you, when you talk with your, um, your readers and, and your um, students in your training? Uh, I do. And one thing I wanted to mention here is that your survey is offering some really valuable information, because if if you've been in this field a long time, there are lots of statistics out there on director compensation, top issues that they're facing, um, all of the other matters. And they come from the consulting firms. <clears throat> and what do they do? They look at the uh, Fortune 500 top public companies and all of the rest of the companies the 99% of private, family-held, uh, closely-held venture boards, we don't know about them. It's a black hole of information. So what you're doing is really valuable here. We need to know about what everyone else is out there doing, especially in the nonprofit sector. But <clears throat> excuse me, to get back to your question, I, I have seen that, and I um, would actually wonder a little bit more about how assured they are about the continuity issue. I'm wondering if that's code language for we have the same people in the boardroom, no one leaves, no one comes in. So yeah, we've got good continuity in the same way that, yeah, because we don't have any turnover. That you know, that's could be almost a coded way of saying we got ours, we're happy, and we don't want to change. So, right. And, and that then, yeah, would be worth some digging into. Yeah. Or lack of, yeah, just seat turnover within that. Um, speaking of governance, what, what do you think are some of the, the kind of rules or regulations that you could build into the boardroom, you could, either your charter or your, you know, uh, your mandates to, to almost um, automate uh, increased turnover or increased diversity? Yeah, don't get me started on this. I could go on for an hour here. But um, I should preface this by saying that the major problem that I see in boards and I get in feedback from the trainings I've been doing in the U.S. and around the world is uh, that it is still very much a bespoke amateur process. Uh, we have had decades, centuries now of business school training MBA programs, consulting to tell us how to operate and run major corporations as a science. It's gotten very well done. The board of directors, which is really the tip of the spear for an organization, is still pretty much a volunteer guys down at the lodge sort of a thing. You take this group of well-meaning, intelligent, but part-time amateurs in the organization you bring them together every two or three months. Uh, you give them a huge pile of information beforehand. You put them together in a room, sometimes give them really important crisis issues to deal with. And then you're surprised that the outcomes aren't good. Well, of course, they're not going to be good. Uh, the board of directors model is archaic. It's an artifact that goes back 300 years to squires putting money together in a joint stock organization mm -hmm. uh, to watch over their investment on a trading voyage. But we're stuck with it today worldwide. You've probably seen this. Anywhere you go in the world and say the term board of directors, everyone snaps on an image of what it looks like because it's so universal. But how to run that 
uh, completely illogical organization effectively. Everyone's left to make it up as they go along and um, they have to reinvent the wheel and too often they reinvent a square wheel. Technology is one of the things I've really been pushing for boards just as tools to make what is really an impossible job just a little bit more possible for the people who are doing it. Uh, board of Directors online portals. I'm a big booster of that. Uh, they've become almost universal. There's a huge variety of them out there from the all bells and whistles ones that are thousands of dollars to ones that are, are uh, freeware almost for nonprofits and charities. Make use of that because even companies that are using board portals to um, inform their boards are using only a fraction of the capabilities to get information out, to keep it secure, which is a very big issue here with boards. You can crack a whip over managers on how they handle their email and how they lock down their devices so there's nothing getting in there. If the board members are sloppy with it, who's going to crack a whip over them? They're pretty much going to do what they want to do. They're going to be sending incredibly sensitive information back through their Gmail account or leaving their laptop on a taxi seat or something like that. So you can use these tech tools to lock everything down for the board, uh, to give them better controls, which is very important. Got 50 pages of information to read before a board meeting. Why aren't you working with the company secretary and IT staff to give you a handful of uh, dashboard controls, red light, yellow light, green light to tell you when things are in and out of compliance. You can boil that down to something that's immediate that the board members need, and then they can dig into detail to find out why you're out of compliance. Yeah. And the best part that is a, something the board and management can do instead of simply management giving whatever indices look best to the board. <clears throat> the board can lay out the parameters and say, this is what we want to see. We want to see these particular measures. Yeah, Things become more manageable and simple. As I said, I'm sorry if I ramble on. No. Basic blocking and tackling things and too many boards aren't doing them. Yeah, and I, I, there's so many things that I want to synthesize there. And, and one is um, you, you talk about kind of the tradition of, of board governance, and um, you know we talked about board continuity. Uh, one of the the assumptions that I think many new board members make is that this is a set foundation. This is the way it operates. I don't have the opportunity to maybe suggest a new process or policy. Uh, and one of our um, one of the the people who I like to talk to is, is Matt Fulbrook, who is uh, he. He has a, a podcast yeah. called Ground Up Governance. We hope that he'll join us here on the Inside the Boardroom podcast soon. But his whole um, uh, kind of thought uh, leadership push is around you can do it differently. There's nobody saying that you have to do a board meeting mm -hmm. the exact same way every single time. You don't have to meet at a square table. You could meet at a round table. Um, you don't have to do just the uh, the board dinner but, uh, the night before the meeting. Uh, you could go, you know, have a coffee or, or take a walk with a, a fellow director. There's so many things that we can do to, to uh, engage and optimize that human system of governance, because it is ultimately just a, a group of humans or people sitting around mm -hmm. a table um, to collaborate and, and, and be more effective as a team. Um, the other thing that I, I, I love I that I jump in and mention there here is uh, also it gets into use of online Zoom board mm -hmm. meetings here. And uh, that obviously everyone suddenly had to become experts on that in um, 2020. 
Uh, but boards are becoming smarter about using that here. Uh, have floating board meetings. Uh, you don't have to sit everyone around a table for several hours. You can have a few groups meet here online. You can spin off a committee meeting online. Uh, you can break, get back together. You can go across time zones with it. Uh, it's one of the things that boards, they obviously like getting together to cook ideas, and that's certainly the best way of doing it. But for things like committee meetings, better use of online meetings can make things a lot quicker, a lot more um, up to date, and a lot more convenient. So yeah, good absolutely. Uh, we we looked at some of our internal data about a year or two ago. Um, just you know, curious about how board meeting frequency and duration had changed, and we found a very sharp delineation. This was anonymized data just on on length of board meeting. Um, there was a sharp delineation around March 2020 that we started seeing board meeting time, you know, time in the board meeting becoming uh, smaller. Uh, but those mm -hmm. board meetings becoming more frequent. So just by virtue of having to meet via Zoom, uh, you know, a board meeting can last 8, 10, 12 hours. Uh, you can't do 12 hours on Zoom. It's just, it's not feasible. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't think anything replaces that in-person communication. But if you are in that role of having a Zoom meeting, uh, breaking that up into more segmented chunks, or like you said, uh, you know, uh, delegating the committee meeting to, to Zoom may be a, a, a good uh, um, practice. The other thing that I wanted to touch on, and you touched on here, was uh, technology and, and the role of the board um, in terms of uh, reflecting the, the security culture of the organization. Like you said, your managers and your employees are all expected to, to, to undergo cybersecurity training or uh, privacy mm -hmm. and confidentiality training. But so for some reason, those same rules don't apply to the board members, maybe because they're so senior or experienced or they're business leaders. Um, we assume that they have the same training or they, they, we assume that they have the same uh, risk management, uh, individual risk man management practices already in place. Um, but we know there's some really high level examples where, where board, mean, uh, board members or board directors at, at big public companies, um, you, there's a mistake that was made. That one of the most famous ones that I can think of is a few years ago back before uh, Colin Powell passed. He was a, a director on Salesforce's board. Uh, his email was leaked or hacked, or there was a breach of some sort. And mm -hmm. Salesforce's entire M&A um, list, their, their acquisition strategy was leaked. Uh, and so all their competitors knew, now knew you know, who they were looking at to acquire next. And that's just a great example of, of how um, you know, a patchwork of technology, say email and a share drive, and you know, maybe you're texting uh, other board directors on, on um, Instant Messenger or WhatsApp or something similar, how that can really uh, increase the vulnerability of that really confidential and sensitive information. Yeah, Th think about it. You have the uh, board member of a major public company doing um, some board business, following up on an email. They're sitting in a uh, coffee shop logged onto their network to send it, and they're using uh, Gmail or other public um, platform to send emails back and forth with incredibly strategic information. Uh, that's crazy. That, that's incredibly dangerous. So as I said, you really need to crack a whip over the board members on this, point them toward the portal, say, use this for communication. Don't use anything else. Uh, for God's sake, don't use your company, personal uh, networks for going back and forth. Because what happens if... Uh, the uh, corporation is sued. There's going to be discovery for everything. 
well, you've been using your own personal company networks to send email. Guess whose networks are suddenly going to get all dug into and subpoenaed by uh, regulators or attorneys. So it can become a disaster. Yeah. And one other thing I encourage, and I, I think you do this too, is a lot better interplay between the company's security online cyber staff and the board of directors. Uh, it, it sounds like a great Dilbert cartoon. You get this young 20-something guy with a man bun and piercings coming in to give these old white guys on the board a lecture on cybersecurity and what the company's doing. And he's going off in all this tech language and they're drifting off and not paying any attention to it because it's all over their heads. And, and like I say, it sounds very funny, but that's what happens. And nothing good comes out of it. Uh, the board members are just hearing, wah, 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 I need more budget, wah, wah, wah. And that's about all they take away from it. So I'm encouraging companies to get their CISOs really speaking in language boards can use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've seen, I think it was uh, a study of the S&P 500 that said, you know, one of the top skills that, that uh, director recruiting is focusing on right now is increased cybersecurity. And just to put a pin on that, or just a sharper point, um, I reference an IBM uh, data breach study every year because it, 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 this number never goes down. Uh, this is a third-party study conducted by the uh, Panaman Institute on behalf mm -hmm. of IBM, who obviously has some skin in the game in terms of cybersecurity. But the average okay. data breach in the United States uh, last year cost more than $9.3 million. That's the average. So there's 50% on either side of that. Uh, and most organizations, that's a significant risk. Um, and the other... Uh, point to highlight there is that it takes almost a full year, 270 days uh, for the average data breach, uh, whether that comes from the board or, or uh, elsewhere in the organization to even be identified, even before it can be mitigated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if, if, if you really want to um, identify the risk and say, hey, do you have $10 million to spend on, on a data breach this year or not, uh, that, that hopefully would wake some of those board directors up. <laughs> And now the new SEC proposals on disclosure for mm -hmm. this have put boards directly in the hot seat. They're the ones who are going to have to report, this is the status of our online security. This is what happened. This is what went wrong to investors and the public here. Yeah. So um, you have to up your game now because everyone is going to be watching. Absolutely. And uh, we, we had actually one of the, I think he was one of the authors of the SEC's um, new regulations, um, Chris Hetner, who's a special advisor to the NHB, oh, yeah. joined us recently for a webinar. Um, and one of the things that, you know, they, they identified in this webinar, in this panel discussion was um, any other risk within the business, be that uh, competitive risk or, you know, supply chain disruption or economic disruption, uh, the directors are going to uh, really focus in on that risk and consume the analytics and consume the data and come up with a strategic recommendation for the, the, the company to mitigate that risk or avoid it. But there's this blind spot with cybersecurity because it's such a, a kind of a, a technological um, area that most people don't feel comfortable with. But when mm -hmm. you put it under the, the umbrella of risk, it becomes easier to understand or easier to, to uh, I guess, consume for a director. Now, now, that's one of the problems I have found over the years is when it comes to risk oversight and specific risk management at the board, boards haven't done a very good job of it. It was something that was sort of in the background up until about 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. when the... Um, market uh, meltdown happened and suddenly everyone was frightened about risk and wanted to know more about it. 
And the reporting on that to the boards is usually not very good. If you look at all of the factors involved, managers have every incentive to tell the board, yep, we've got good controls on risk, nothing is wrong. But if you also look at it, every board member has a hidden incentive to say, okay, good, sounds good, move on, next item on the agenda. It's something everyone, just to make life easier, tends to move along and not dig into too much. Mm -hmm. And then the crisis hits and everyone wants to know where the board was. Right. How do you think that that you know a good director who can who can balance, I guess, the uh, the interrogative of, of of digging into that risk versus um, you know doing their 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 duty of loyalty and care? What are some of the things that a director could um, I don't know do to identify it and not be just the the boy who cries wolf, so to speak? Uh, I am very big on giving them a lot more time to go over pre meeting materials do research on the company. Um, A good director, for example, is just using the board packet, whether it's online or in paper, is just a jumping off point before Mm -hmm. the board meeting. They're going online. They're Googling the company name. They're Googling the news to find out what's being talked about out there. They're going to the online discussion watering holes for the industry to see who's saying what. They're going to the um, employment sites where people handicap, this is a good company to work for, you don't want to work there, they suck, and find out, do we suck? Uh, What are employees out there or potential employees saying about us? Uh, They're asking all of this. Something new that's coming along that could be really interesting, um, I've just written about this recently, is the use of uh, AI tools. Uh, Suppose you had tools in the hands of the board that could go through all of the company information, all of the board packet, and parse two or three questions that they may not have thought of themselves, but might seem irregularities. Well, where is this trend going to lead? Where Where is our exposure on this? What don't we know about this? These are busy, distracted, part-time amateurs, as I said. They can't know all of this. You know, AI has been hugely talked about over the last six months. Uh, it's going to take over the world. But this is one area where I could see it being useful, giving the um, director a wingman to go and look at the information and find out what we haven't looked at on ourselves. Yeah, and I, I think you, you characterize that so well. And, and I'll use a, a corollary anecdote I, that I heard. that it was, a, it was a healthcare report on a you know, national news program. And they were, they were talking about the, the biggest benefit of AI, what sector is going to gain the most from this. And it was healthcare. Uh, and they said, why healthcare? I said, well, you know, in their average lifetime, your doctor who's been schooled for, for 12 years and then, you know, has tons of experience, fellowships, you know, graduate school and, and on the job training, they're only going to see perhaps 50,000 patients in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you fed all that data into an AI model, they're going to see millions of patients in their lifetime. They're going to be able to identify patterns and trends that lead to more accurate diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. So if you could shift that mindset into the boardroom, like you said, amateur directors or part-time directors, they may have a, a ton of business experience within the industry or not, uh, but they, they've not been in 100,000 boardrooms. They've not read 100,000 board packets, mm-hmm. but that, that AI model could uh, summarize and analyze those findings, including things like risk mitigation. Um, it could, um, you know, pull it, put into the context where your, your corporation is chartered, what industry uh, regulations apply, um, you know, what, what particular risks uh, may apply, you know, both historical and, and current. 
Um, I love that idea. Didn't, and um, we're, we're doing some things on the onboard side to, 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 to work through that as well. Um, but it brings me to this question. Uh, you know, the majority of the public is familiar with the publicly accessible models like chat GPT, Bard from Google or, or um, Microsoft Bing. Uh, do you mm-hmm. think that directors should be feeding that that board level info into those publicly accessible models? And is there any risk there? It, it would obviously it would have to be walled off mm-hmm. for the company, but that doesn't also mean that you can't tap into that publicly accessible uh, accessible information and add it to the database of what's being looked at here. Uh, as you mentioned here, aside from identifying risks, uh, best practices. Uh, have a look over your uh, board and committee charters. What's missing? Mm-hmm. Who's doing something better and being more specific? Job descriptions. How, how many boards actually have a job description for their individual board members, for the chairs of the committees, for things like that? H- how rigorous are they? How well are they being done? It gets up to the top of the corporation. Uh, the chief executive job description for an organization very often isn't laying out a list of qualifiers and things that we want in a CEO. We're describing who is the current CEO and their background. It's sort of a tail wagging the dog situation. AI could help you find that, find out irregularities, find out this isn't best practice. Consider doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and to just underscore that it, within our study as well, our survey that we, we recently released that, um, you know, when we, we talked about governance processes and, and what drives ineffectiveness there, uh, 84% said lacking a clear mission or measurable objectives was a principal concern. Um, so unclear mission, lack of objectives, lack of goals, uh, those things not being documented, especially for incoming board members who, who really need that information. And then yes. we asked in a free tech to answer, you know, what, what would... What would you do to improve this uh, lack of effectiveness? And one of the top answers was be very specific and very clear on what each director's role and responsibility are within that boardroom. So I think that that job description that you mentioned there is, is, a, mm-hmm. is a great example of, you know, what do you want me to do to help this board or this company or this organization to succeed? Uh, how can I help you? Is, is Yeah, uh, I 100% agree with you there. Yeah. And you just tied into something else that's important here. New board member orientation processes. Um, It's often a scandal here. Here, Here's a big pile of information. Here are the last uh, half dozen board packets and annual reports. Here are two or three people you might want to call. Okay, good luck. See you at the first board meeting. And no, that that isn't going to be effective. Uh, And the problem is that the individual directors really have to take the initiative in sleuthing through the company to find out what's going on, who to talk to, because uh, most boards do a very poor job of onboarding new board members. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that you're on something here, especially if we we call back to the the, the earlier uh, topic of of diversity. Um, You know, when you mentioned old male, pale and stale, there's a reason for that, it's because you, you recruit from your own network. You, you, you choose to be with people who look and think and, and act like you do. Um, but if and when you even do get a, a, a new director who comes from a different background, a different uh, cultural background, a different set of professional expertise, there's not often a clear way for those directors to onboard that person and really utilize their expertise. One of the things that I've heard over and over again in, in studies and just anecdotal information from directors I've talked to is that, uh, that that tokenism of, hey, we have a, a culturally diverse person on the board now. That's great. Okay. 
but there's no mm-hmm. effort made to actually um, draw from that experience or that expertise. You know, it takes a, almost a proactive conversation or a proactive reach out, whether that's on the the, uh, the the role of the chair or the other directors to to actually draw from that experience. Would you would you agree yeah. with that? Where, where is the uh, I in inclusion? Where is the B in belonging here? And and that's why uh, new director um, mentoring mm-hmm. is uh, very important. Use a buddy system. Someone who is on the board who's going to take this new member under their wing, you know, take them around and do some meeting at the different uh, company plants or locations, introduce them to the finance staff, legal staff, sit down and go out for lunch with them, Uh, give them feedback on how they're doing in the board meetings. Uh, Someone has to take personal responsibility. Yeah. And that even harkens back to that that kind of that that professional development towards the uh, director's chair uh, of um, even getting that, you know, identifying that top talent or that that uh, emerging mm-hmm. talent within your organization, and having them sit in on a board meeting, have them understand what the, the governance process looks like, uh, have them understand what questions to ask to get to the bottom of a piece of data or uh, reporting there. Mm. Yeah, you know who trains people to be uh, good board chairs? No, no one. No, <laughs> no. Uh, it's like being a parent in a way. Uh, you pick it up from when you have been on boards. And like in parenting, if you have a really a board with a really lousy chair, uh, whether you even think that they're a lousy chair, that's going to be what you model yourself on when you become a board member. Mm-hmm. That's how the standards are. This is what's right, and that's what's wrong. Uh, board chair training is a scandal. No one teaches you how to do it, and um, that's another thing that's urgently important better standards for training right. on how to chair a board. And we've heard that, yeah, there's there's natural talent or, or natural leadership and diplomatic skills, but it, it's it, that doesn't occur mm-hmm. for most people, um, even when yeah. you reach them. And, and if you've made it up to the CEO level, that's great. You've learned a lot of the leadership skills. And then when you go into a boardroom, especially if you're an independent board chair, most of those skills you have to <clears throat> flip on their head. It all becomes very informal and uh, personal. Mm-hmm. And all of the leadership you, skills that got you up the ladder to a chief executive position aren't the ones you're going to want when you chair a board. Yeah. Um, an earlier conversation we had this year with with Brenda Lauterbach, who's the, the chair of Denny's Corporation, um, one of the things that she really emphasized was that you have to set the right expectations for everybody. And whether that's mm-hmm. a document or the first meeting of the year, um, hey, I'm the chair. This is the culture we encourage. We're going to be candid and open and accountable. Uh, you know, and if you have a problem or an issue, I, I want to hear about it. And just setting that expectation, I think, uh, really just sets the tone from the top, so to speak. I've heard that a lot of times, but I, Definitely. I, I just I would 100 percent agree with that. Um, I was hoping we could uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, what your recent article was on, on board searches. So we talked about you know composition. Obviously, a lot more organizations are searching. Uh, searching for diversity, but what are some of the practical applications that that you found in that in that article? Was it um, you know are more firms uh, leaning on consultants or headhunters? Uh, are they extending their recruiting periods to to accommodate that uh, that smaller pool of candidates? What are some of the things going on there? Um, as you know, most board um, positions the overwhelming majority are personal networking, who knows who around the table, which has, of course, been very limiting. Uh, As we've seen the um, 
especially at the public company level, the impression that we can't have everyone looking the same at the table. We need some diversity here. I have seen an edging up in the use of uh, recruiters for finding board members. And very often the call will go out to the recruiters. They start out with saying, we need a woman on the board who brings and then get into the skill mix that they're looking at here. And that's where I encourage the board wannabes. Um, these are people who are at the top level of the executive world. They've been around and they're usually on the radar screens of headhunters, recruiters, they're in touch with them regularly, trying to tempt them away. Do you know someone who is interested in this or that position? And I encourage them, don't let the recruiter off the phone or don't email them back without mentioning your board interest and giving them a good 30-second pitch on why you'd make a good board member mm -hmm. because that will pay off down the road. Uh, they're going to think about that. Uh, recruiting firms, especially the big name ones, don't much like doing board searches for their clients because there's no money in it compared to going off and finding a CFO or a VP or something. But they do it as a loss leader to keep the clients happy. Mm -hmm. Smart uh, board wannabes turn that to their advantage by making sure the recruiters already know about their interest and who they are. So they don't have to go investing time and effort into chasing someone down. They already know about you. But again, they do have to know about you and your board interest. So that, that, that is uh, one thing I say, uh, recruiters. And if you're searching for a board and you're serious about it, um, you have to make a discipline. Set yourself a goal. How many people this week have I mentioned of my interest in getting on a board of directors in my network? Mm -hmm. Give yourself a goal and aim for it and hit it. Yeah. And then for... You mentioned the the wannabes or, or let's call them amateurs who are not you know in in the professional setting or or maybe want to contribute to their community or to their trade or their industry. What do you what would you recommend in terms of, of getting that first board seat on a nonprofit or a trade association mm -hmm. or a, you know your local library? How do you go about that? And is that also a, a, a you know a, a need that that those organizations are facing? Well, one thing I like about that is that it gives people a chance to work their passions. What, what do you? What's important to you? What causes drive you? What, what is impressive matters to you outside of your career? Well, start digging into that and uh, start getting involved more. Uh, yes, it's going to be a time commitment, but then get involved in the governance level. A lot of the organizations that you're dealing with here, as you mentioned, charities, trusts, nonprofits, um, are looking for your skills and background, get involved and try to get a seat on a local or um, regional division board of it or something. Get impact, uh, build up boardroom seat time, try to get involved in the committees that are doing things like finance, fundraising, um, major member rollouts, succession planning, which is a big thing. Um, Keep log of that, everything that you've done on that. What did you do? What were the decisions that you were involved in there? And how did it pay off? This was the amount uh, of increase in our endowment that uh, I was on the board when we managed. Here was a major um, management issue we had to deal with. And here's how we uh, came up with a new um, chief executive or leader. Keep track of those things here. 
uh, if you're an industry, uh, I work quite a few with quite a few people in the pharma industry, and uh, their companies are always involved with the major causes, uh, diabetes association, this or that association. The companies are often looking for uh, top execs who will help represent them, be involved, be active with these groups, be the one in the room that holds your hands up and say, me, I'll serve on the board. I'll, I'll serve as our um, interim or reach out to them. And then again, keep track of what you've done on a board level to build up those chops. Yeah, I love that recommendation too. One thing that we know from just looking at our data is that the average director sits on more than one board. So let's say I think the yeah. average is is, is 2.1 boards or, or maybe 1.1. Yeah. I can't, I'm, I may be transposing the numbers there. Um, but that is typically and not always, uh, not typically, I should say, that is uh, sometimes agnostic of, of industry or, or category of organization. Uh, I personally know a, a board director who's on his, uh, his city council. He's at his local university and he sits on the board of a company. So uh, that kind of cross-functional expertise can certainly be applied in different um, boards. And those board networks are very small. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Because everyone that you are on while well, those boards with are on other boards mm -hmm. and now they get see how you operate in a boardroom and you can mention to them, you know, I'm interested in expanding my board circle. So it becomes degrees of separation. Once you're getting on any board, you've uh, expanded that circle. Absolutely. All right, uh, uh, Ralph, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this question. How did you get your first board seat? Uh, I've just served on nonprofit so far. When you write about the inside of what boards are doing and what's going on behind the scenes, you probably don't want someone like that on your corporate board and going out and blabbing. So, But I've uh, been on a number of um, local civic and employment training groups and um, economic development uh, group boards. And it's just a matter of showing up and saying, I'm interested, uh, expanding your networks, see what they're doing and mention, I, I would very much like to contribute to what you're doing, becoming involved, uh, becoming active. And, and that, by the way, for uh, charities and trusts, uh, particularly for the board wannabes who are looking at that, I counsel them this may be a cause you're involved in that's uh, something that really matters to you. Find out what the uh, expenses and what is expected of you are. Because mm -hmm. if you are on, say, a major charitable fund board, a trust board, um, some civic board, you're going to be expected to either contribute or be a venue for other people contributing to that. So um, it can cost you. Right. And I mean, too many uh, nonprofit uh, board members go into that not really being aware of what um, the uh, results could be. Right. It's not just an investment in, in your time and your, yeah. your your skills that you 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 don't either write a check or be a venue to a check. So right. bear that in mind. That's great. Great, uh, Ralph. One other question. You know, for for those interested in gaining their first board seat, obviously they can they can join you on Boardroom Insider and, and download your your books, how to get your, uh, gain your first board seat and board seekers guidebook. Would you recommend any other reading or uh, resources for, for those interested in uh, developing their board careers? Uh, one thing I encourage, and this is particularly for uh, women executives who are trying to make their way up. There has been a boom in women's groups, networking groups, board related training groups mm -hmm. out there. Um, 
2020 women on boards, Catalyst are some of the traditional ones, but there's been a huge boom in them uh, in specific sectors, parts of the country, uh, women's networking groups on governance. They put together lists of prospects. They do training and education, have networking opportunities. Put some Google time into digging on those and finding out which ones you would might like to become affiliated with. Um, it's an excellent opportunity. And as I said, there are a lot of them popping up now. Yeah, and I'll, I'll use the opportunity to promote uh, a, a women's board group that we've partnered with, uh, Fourth Effect. Uh, it is is primarily focused on, on women in, in tech and, and SaaS industries. Uh, yeah. And specifically, general counsels, um, uh, they they not only uh, do the, the board level training, the board leadership training that you mentioned, but then they also have a, uh, a kind of um, a network for equity investment. So if there's a, a woman oh, startup uh, and, and women founded uh, venture capital firms, they connect them together uh, and just to have that virtuous cycle of, of increased diversity, increased representation and increased access to capital. So, yeah, I, I would 100 percent agree with you there. Great. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been really eye-opening for me and, and enlightening. And I think it was some great uh, uh, information to share with our uh, Inside the Boardroom audience. So, so thank you for spending your time with us today. Thank you, Josh. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs>